Hello everyone, it's Weather Wednesday, which means it's time for a new episode of our podcast. So welcome everyone to For the Love of Weather podcast. My name is Gemma. I'm the big fan base here, Gemma. Yeah, (laughs) Weather Wednesday. And my name is Ashling. I've been hired to cheer for Gemma. You're doing a great job. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So Gemma, what's on the cards today? What have you got for us? So today we thought that we would look at how the coronavirus pandemic has had some impact um, on the uh, weather forecasting um, Mm. over the last couple of months. Yeah. So um, obviously there's lots of different sides to the pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. We absolutely appreciate how difficult that has been for everyone. So we're just looking today at the forecasting side of it and how the forecast accuracy um, not necessarily has changed, but would have been slightly altered, I would say. So maybe we should just start right back from the beginning and explain if you didn't know how weather models work or how weather observations were collected um just explain how that does so the best forecast that we have is the forecast that's telling us the truth now so when we take our observations now and we feed them into the weather model the chances are if the weather model is telling us what's happening now then going forward it's more likely to be correct but those weather observations come from lots of different places so traditionally there's those surface observations just temperature barometer And then obviously, as technology has advanced, we now have satellite imagery that can show us lovely pictures. The sensors on the satellite send us back lots of information like relative humidity, wind speed, actually even at the height of waves as well, and also radar systems. So most countries have some sort of a weather radar that picks up rainfall amounts, but also commercial aircraft. So Gemma, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we have commercial aircrafts that are flying around the world. There's, We've all seen them, on, uh, or many of us would have seen them on those fl- flight radars that you can see. You can see there's loads of air- commercial aircrafts that are flying around. And those commercial aircrafts are actually recording observations for us. Um, as Ash mentioned, we do have observations that are recorded at the surface, but we also have these commercial aircrafts that are going around and they're collecting things like temperature, they'll collect wind data as well. Um, and those observations are then fed into the weather models that we use to um, produce our weather forecasts. Mm. And obviously we are aware that during the um, coronavirus pandemic, there was a time where we were in lockdown. So there was a couple of months where around the world, particularly around sort of March to May time this year, that there was a huge reduction in the number of commercial aircrafts that were flying around the world. Um, I think uh, I remember reading a report that said that during those months of lockdown, there was a reduction in around sort of 50 to 75 percent of the commercial um, aircrafts and the observations that they were collecting globally. Yeah, and so and one of the reasons why that is, you know, considered significant or certainly would have just been something that was talked about is that um, a lot of those aircrafts rely on the jet stream to fly through. Mm-hmm. So either to not fly through it if you're going against it or to fly through it if you're going in it. And so collecting information on the exact wind speed, the humidity, etc., allows us to really, um, really well verify what the computer model thinks the jet stream is versus what we know it actually is. And then you can marry them two up and it just makes your forecast that bit more accurate. Now, when the weather is pretty slow moving, I suppose it doesn't, it wouldn't necessarily have as big an impact. But if there was a big weather event on the way, these are the types of things that you 
you would definitely want to know. And a lot of the aircraft as well fly around the northern hemisphere rather than the southern hemisphere, the reasons being more of the population lives in the northern hemisphere. There's also more land mass around as well. So less flights would transit around um, the southern hemisphere. So there was that's a significant drop in information just from aircrafts um, into into weather models. That's true. And obviously, not all of the weather elements that we look at and we forecast for were affected the same way. I mean, some of them were affected a bit more. So things like surface temperatures, pressure, wind speed, relative humidity. It's a stronger suggestion that the COVID-19 pandemic did for a time have an impact on the weather forecasting of those um, elements, whereas other things such as precipitation maybe wasn't as affected as much as those other elements were. Yeah. Um, so like as a forecaster as well, obviously we have like a huge amount of information at our fingertips. Um, mm-hmm. And that sometimes actually can be quite overwhelming to actually filter through it all. And it always actually blows my mind how the weather modelers actually model the weather. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane how they figure out the physics of the atmosphere because there's no definite stop or definite, I suppose there's a definite start in a way to the atmosphere. Um if you consider, I don't know, the surface of the ocean, the, the surface of the sea, the start of the atmosphere technically is just like a different medium going through the water and then into the thing. But it's just incredible how they manage to, you know, figure out how all of that air actually moves around. I mean, that's a whole other topic itself, isn't it? I know. How weather models are actually created. It's yeah. unbelievable. A lot of respect for those people. I definitely couldn't do it. That's probably where you do want your maths. Yeah, you, know? you definitely want it then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably is where, where you want want your bats. But anyway, and I mean, we know COVID obviously has affected lots of things and it's still affecting us now and is mm-hmm. likely to do so as we go forward. But it is interesting when you remove something that you kind of take for granted that you have as information. I wonder going forward, will that actually make a change in some of the science that they come up with and I know there is new satellites up there that have been put up in the more recent years that do really good profiles of the atmosphere so and um, for some of you that don't know so some of the satellites some of the older ones um pick up infrared so infrared is actually a, a medium we can't physically see but if we put some filters onto it we can see and we kind of change the colors around as well. So if you see the color white, you know that something is very cold. And if you see the color black, you know something that is very warm. So you're kind of interpreting what you're seeing as if there's lots of white, it's not just cloud, like the color white, it's actually cold, which tells you the cloud is really, really high up. Mm. And so kind of more traditionally, you can't actually see through that. So you might be able to see that there's a weather front from the top of it and understand the temperature of the top of the cloud, but you wouldn't be able to understand the profile going through it or where exactly it was most dense, where is the most dense cloud, because cloud tends to bundle up into three layers, low, medium and high, and you kind of find, you know, have you ever taken off on a cloudy day, you'll probably pop out into some sunshine, yeah. and below you is sort of a blanket of cloud, and then there might be another thing, thin cloud above you. So so satellites have really come along, sensors really have, have come along. However, there's still nothing quite like having that sort of immediate profile popping through the atmosphere. And especially in hazardous weather as well, it does pick up some uh, smaller scale detail that allow for very localised warnings to actually happen. Mm. So that's another thing. Although there wasn't bad weather, thank God. It was actually, well, from my point of view, it was quite a dry spring, actually. It was. Of it. We did, yeah, the weather during sort of those spring months were, was 
was very nice actually it was nice to be able to forecast some nice weather for people uh, yeah. during that tricky time i i definitely valued it because we spent like easily the first two months just out the back garden because we didn't really know a lot about how mm. any of this really who it was affecting and actually I had two sick children at the beginning of lockdown as well so we were a little bit afraid for them um just they actually had a chest infection so that was a little bit tricky for us as well so I was really grateful for it being dry and us actually getting outside as well definitely helped although I still felt a little stir crazy at times but I think yeah um, a lot of people but the fact that we had yeah but the fact that we had some um dry and sunny weather did mean that people were able to get out for their daily exercise and i did find that actually people were talking about the weather a bit more i noticed that it was a bit more of a conversation about oh the weather's nice today or oh really glad that there hasn't been any rain although when we do have dry periods we then start to think about whether there's going to be enough um, deficits in water supplies and stuff like that so but i mean this spring so spring 2020 it was the sunniest spring on record for the uk yeah and our records for that go back to 1929 so it's a long record that we um, have there yeah it's a pretty good representation of it as well and and i've also actually been asked whether the pandemic impacted the weather so mm. uh whether like not having as much aviation flying around um has actually made a change and it really didn't we were just very lucky with the weather if you consider dry weather to be lucky yeah for forever the biggest sin of a forecaster is telling telling somebody yes. it's going to be a lovely day because there's sunshine or it's you know and being oh it's wet but the wet rain is going to clear but actually I think it was quite nice to be able to tell people that it was going to be dry it means that they could get outside and into their back garden if you had if you're lucky enough to have um a back garden as well just yeah. leave your windows open and just feel like you were connected a little bit to it's so the outdoors. true it didn't actually impact it though but I for one was very grateful for that period being as dry as it was but like every good UK season it delivers all sorts of things to you so we may have had a dry spring and a sunny spring but we certainly made up for it being very dull actually through October and through November as well I think I'm not sure if it was a record-breaking one but it definitely made some record I think it was one of the top 10 dullest ones in the UK so give it and we take it away it's true swings and roundabouts with the weather that's always the case absolutely yeah and then i guess another positive thing about it as well was obviously the um the co2 emissions did go down and as we all know going forward that's the one thing that we are trying to reduce and trying to do better and trying to come up with more clever innovative ways of um of helping to sort all of that out but actually this lockdown as we are technically kind of still in one, there's still sort of restrictions on how we're traveling. I, for one, have certainly kind of changed how I've worked. Has it changed how you've worked, Gemma? It has. So myself, like many people in the UK, have started working from home. Um, I have never really thought about the fact that I might be able to work from home before. Um, but as we went into lockdown, my company worked very quickly to be able to allow mm. us to work from home. So I'm still working from home now. I do all my forecasting from my spare room. Um, <laughs> I, I do my night shifts from home as well, which is yeah. interesting. Sitting here for 12 hours while you know that everyone else in your house is asleep and you're creeping around trying to not wake oh. people up. And I don't know. That's bittersweet for me. If I thought everyone was asleep and I was awake, I could, oh, I don't know, a bit like, 
people watch what I want on the deli. I could my shifts are quite busy overnight, so (laughs) I don't really have time for that sort of thing. But I do sit next to a bed, and that sort of I look over occasionally, and I think, oh, that looks nice and cozy over there. But Gemma, have you ever slept on a night shift? Never. In thirteen years, I have never taken a nap. I just, I. I, I don't even know. I'm actually lost for words. That doesn't happen very often. I'm lost for words. <laughs> so I just can't nap just in general. So, I mean, this is a whole other topic about how you prepare for cope. night shifts, but cope on night shifts. But yeah. I can't nap. So I have to sleep in big, solid chunks of sleep. So I can very easily sleep for 12 to 13 hours, which my family think is absolutely crazy that I can sleep for that amount of time. But I can't nap. So it means that on a night shift, I'm not even tempted to nap. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I have occasionally just dozed off for like a second while I'm typing. That, and you wake up and you think, where, where, where am I? What's going on? But I've never actually taken a nap on a night shift I think I'd feel worse after it. I just, I, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, I'll tell you now, I'd be telling a big old fat lie if I ever said I didn't nap. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> Gemma, I am just not designed for night shifts. I'm not designed for it. I, I, my body fights them. I, 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 I crawl home off a night shift, pass out of sleep, and then two and a half hours later, being I'm wide awake because that's, that's my natural body clock I'm a little morning bird and I don't like to be asleep during the day really really hard but those night shifts absolutely prepared me for having twins I was about and to say convinced did, did it help that you <laughs> that was my karma in life it was like this is how you're going to cope we're going to put you through a number of years of sleep deprivation so that when you go and have your twins you will realize that you can actually do this and I wasn't actually sort of battling with that that feeling like if you'd never had that feeling before it's so hard to describe you're you're exhausted and you're tired and you're you your brain is trying to work yeah you, when you, you get hope so it does you get so tired I mean I remember being so tired once that I was just stood there and I could just feel myself swaying yeah and it's, I mean, on when I finish a night shift, I have to sleep for a chunk of time. So I go to, I finish night shifts today. Um, mm. I feel quite awake, actually, Yay! considering I am um, recording this podcast. I've done only four hours sleep, but I sleep for like four hours um, and then I get up and then I'm generally okay. But I tried yeah. once to stay awake after a night shift and I got yeah. to about one o'clock in the afternoon and I felt physically sick. I just could yeah. not do it. So... Hats off to anyone that can do that. (laughs) I know. If you've never experienced night shifts, it is like permanent jet lag. It is. But doing night shifts makes it easier for you to get over jet lag. So there's one positive. Well, that's another thing because you just get up and go, don't you? You just get used to walking around in a semi-permanent state. A semi-permanent state even. Oh, God. Semi-awake state. I'm still in a... I don't know. I'm still semi-awake right now. I don't know. Maybe I've never actually recovered. Like, maybe maybe this isn't... Maybe I'm not really, really with it. Who knows? I could, you know, another couple of you've years got sleep. Two, maybe I could got, be brand new. <laughs> you've got two young kids, though, Ash. So I know, yeah, it's totally I understandable that you would be feeling so, tired. And you're working as well, so... Yeah. And for whatever reason, they call out my name when they wake up in the middle of the, the night. Way. Mommy, mommy, mommy! Oh, say daddy. 
insane. Say daddy. Don't say that. Mm-hmm. I know. I love you, but stop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's go back to a little bit more about uh, the pandemic and forecasting as well. So one of the biggest things actually that was picked up in in some of the studies that were done was about the wind speed. So I was just mentioning as well about um, parts of uh, the Southern Hemisphere that don't have as much uh, data in them as well. Um, and so these types of places really rely on aircraft going over and actually picking up data of wind speed. And one of those was um, there was actually quite a large deterioration over regions with busy flight paths. Mm-hmm. Um, such as North America, Southeast China and Australia, where there isn't as much data on the surface. So some of those uh, deteriorated as well. And then more remote places, um, like Greenland. Siberia, Antarctica, the Sahara Desert, just where there's uh, not as many surface observations. So Mm. the observations that we get from aircrafts are really important for forecasting for those areas. So without those observations during those months of lockdown, did show that there was some effect in the forecast and a lot of these of a lot of the effects on the forecast were for the longer term forecast so we're talking about yes, sort yeah. of not the immediate sort of next day or two so sort of more the longer term uh, just yeah. for a time and just to kind of then put that into even more context as well so not having that data sort of feeding into the model like we all know that okay whilst the weather might appear just to come from very close by when we're doing like a public weather service forecast um actually you know the whole atmosphere is interconnected. So if one Mm. little part of the atmosphere isn't quite correct, it can hugely impact something that's downstream. So some of those errors amplify and the amplification can be quite large as well. So not so much in the short term, but in the long term. And we've had a little chat before about global teleconnections and it's something it's, I won't say it's a new science, but I say it's more more in common speak now just more yep. kind of thrown into your average forecast global teleconnections where maybe 10 years ago it was more of a specialist subject it's still specialist but we have a little bit more of an idea how about how to understand long-term trends and how it might how if one of these global teleconnections is telling us one thing maybe wouldn't be as trustworthy of you know a longer a longer term forecast so yeah really interesting going forward how that's uh, how that's going to play out particularly as you know just from an observer and um, an observation point of view it doesn't look like flights are going to be back the way they were mm. at least before the pandemic so it will be interesting to see how that plays out overall. yeah i mean i was looking at so i was reading a report about sort of the impacts of the coronavirus on um weather forecasting during those lockdown months and it was also interesting to note that um like ash mentioned some of the forecasts for places like north america um china australia that were affected in contrast the impact over places like western europe was Mm. actually compensated by the fact that we have quite a high density of observations at the station so they're collecting the data here so maybe the forecasts weren't affected as much for places like western europe Mm. as places such as north america where we maybe rely on the aircraft observations um, a little bit more there yeah, and, and also the weather was very slow moving and that's also a key thing in forecasting as well. Yep. And it goes back to this word um, confidence that you're going to hear throughout these podcasts about 
how confident you are in the forecast but actually meteorologically speaking what you're kind of saying is that out of all the hundreds of weather models that are produced every three to six hours there's a consensus of what they're all saying so maybe like 80% is saying this and 10% is saying that and another 10% is saying that and, or you know 5% is saying that and there's some outliers and we talk about confidence in the forecast you're saying well if loads of the weather models are saying this thing well actually that's a confidence within those models that actually you, you kind of are fairly happy about the consensus of what you think is going to happen going forward in the future but if the weather is very slow moving it's very easy to see change and to see small changes when the weather is fast moving the difference of like two to three hours can be the difference of having heavy rain in the morning versus heavy rain in the afternoon but when the weather is slow moving as it was in spring where it was just generally dry any changes were very easy to actually monitor it's true. Well. I mean, you might hear weather forecasters um, on the telly mentioning variable amounts of cloud. And I mean, we've both yeah. done road forecasting and we know that during high pressure events, a lot there yeah. are times when we're chasing around cloud amounts. And we Literally, like to, yeah. we throw that uh, phrase out quite a lot. It's, well, we're just chasing around where the cloud will be. And it, in those situations, it could be that a cloud breaks in an area that the models just didn't pick up because of the na- yeah. nature of how the weather's moving. It's very slow moving. Um, yeah. So those forecasts can be very tricky and they can lead to yeah, some very tricky They're... night shifts, especially during the winter. Yes, especially during the winter. I was going to say not so much during the summer. I think it's a little bit easier to forecast yeah. that temperature profile of how it's going to look. Maybe in the day, you know, maximum temperature forecasts, um, you know, it does impact it whether it clouds over sort of earlier on in the day or later on in, on in the day if you get that kind of flattening, that stratocumulus flattening of cloud. Um, but yeah, at night time. Overnight, especially during the winter. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we've both but, been on night shifts where a cloud is broken, it's a cold air mass and you just and see the temperatures, they just rockets. dive, they just yeah, dive just down. Rockets. Yeah, and if you, don't, if you don't know how cloud actually affects forecasting overnight, cloud sort of acts like a blanket. So by day, if there's lots of cloud, it'll stop the temperature from going up. So solar radiation can come in to heat the ground, which then transfers the heat to the air and heats the air. So it can come in. So the temperature range won't be as large during the day, but equally overnight, it prevents, it traps all of that heat underneath. And so if there's any break in that, it's like lifting off a duvet and all of the heat just escapes. escapes. And there's literally an immediate response of something of feeling cold. So it's very, very much like a duvet. Anyway, we're going down a road surface <laughs> forecasting little rabbit hole here. <laughs> we haven't done road forecasting for quite a while. <laughs> it's probably why we're so perky talking about it. <laughs> much respect for all of the road forecasters. Definitely. Much respect. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, yeah, road forecasting is is a tough and one side of a road can be different from another side of the road depending on what's underneath yeah. it and whether it's a sandy soil clay soil if it's shaded or if, it's sh- if there was yeah. a hay bale beside it or maybe that part of the road didn't have the exact same depth of layer or maybe the 30 centimeter road surface temperature wasn't actually at 30 centimeters and so it has a different mm. range it's oh, so many variables so so happy <laughs> massive appreciation for it though anyway shall we finish up with some weather wisdom we have although you haven't told me how your work has changed in coronavirus yet i'm intrigued to know yeah so um i do some of my work from home i was very much like you as well my employer was so quick to respond to this very quick to put sort of safe 
mitigation in, in, into place, very quick to adapt everything. I was very lucky and also very quick to adapt with me as well. So I have um, some young children, so it just meant I had different challenges because we weren't actually using childcare and so we were sort of splitting mm. out the childcare. So I was able to do all the things that I don't actually need to be in the office for at home. So like you, That's I good. could actually do quite a lot from home. But there was an element of studio work that I did need to do. But actually, in hindsight, I do feel quite lucky because I got to get a little break when I went in. And it was just, um, it was nice. You know, it was a really tough time. It was a really, really tough time. Um, but the studio part of it, I did actually continue to do in the studio. But it was all very safe how it was carried out. It was really quite clever how quickly everybody came together to do everything. And it has meant as well that as the year has progressed, it's been very easy to kind of work around different tier systems that we've had here in the UK for, you know, perhaps um, some areas in a different tier that you can't mix with people, etc, mm. etc. But it has actually made it very easy and flexible to do that. But I have continued to do the work stuff at home. But I was also quite lucky as well that actually all of the systems that I work on are already very internet based. So they're already designed. Well, everyone's on internet based now. But what I mean is all of the I could connect to everything I needed to connect to from anywhere. Yeah, so I have been amazed. Really yeah, I I feel very lucky to be able to sit at home and to connect to a computer that is in a completely different location to where yep. I am, and it yeah. makes the technology has just made it. It's just been amazing. It's just made things it's so really much quite easier. Remarkable. I hope mm. as well going forward though that people get to keep the positives of it. So, um, that you know. I don't know. We're in this interconnected world. It's very easy to constantly check your email or check your social media feeds or just, you know, constantly just checking, you know, checking things. But I think it has meant that maybe it's given a little bit more flexibility to people. So you're still doing the same work because we're all still connected, but maybe just a bit more flexibility to enjoy other parts of their life or to make their life easier. Maybe not having to travel at rush hour yeah, or later than rush hour. So maybe you could start your work at home. So for me as well some of the systems I use including my graphics I can do them all from home I can remote in make different projects whatever it is that I need to do so it has been quite good so I think going forward we will hopefully take a lot of positives um from what we have done as well but as forecasters we have actually kept working it's true I've been yeah. I felt very lucky to just have that yes, constant sure. as well to be able to yeah. carry on doing our job um from and home. to be delivering nice news like or nice news well I thought it was nice news don't take an opinion on the forecast but, yes you know dry weather you can get out any part of the day not worry about it and you know you're going to be dry and also warm as well although we did have another record-breaking temperature this year there's quite a lot of them i know it does seem like there's a lot yeah there's been a lot of temperature records being broken this year from what i can remember Mm. anyway Gemma, yes are you going to leave us with some weather wisdom yes so today's weather wisdom i thought i would explain just how the leaves change during autumn so lovely Gemma. i just tell the leaves this autumn have just been stunning. They've been absolutely beautiful. They have. Oh my God, I'm upset. We're both obsessed with weather pictures. But weather pictures for me with gorgeous golden leaves thrown in and maybe a red sunset, it's just too much. I know, it's my camera much. reel, I've actually run out of storage on my phone because I've taken so many pictures <laughs> of trees that are changing colour and clouds. And clouds. It's too many. <laughs> oh, so beautiful. It's like how I remember my day. I'm like, do you remember that layer of ultracumulus yes. that came over? Well, it was around then. 
I now get friends who send me pictures of clouds and I'm just like, oh, thank you so much. That's such a lovely cloud. You're such a good friend. I love it. I love the pictures of clouds. (laughs) Keep them coming. Um, So in terms of the um, leaves during the autumn, the reason they change colour is that leaves have chlorophyll in them and that's the green pigment that we see. And then during the autumn, that uh, chlorophyll pigment starts to get broken down. So the yellows and the oranges, the colours... They were always in the leaves already, but with the green being broken down, that means that those colours, so the yellows and oranges, start to be shown more to us. And then as we go through uh, the autumn, if we get quite a bit of sunshine, more of the chlorophyll gets broken down, the sugars get concentrated um, in the leaves, and that's when we get our reds, and sometimes we get the purples as well. So it's the gradual breaking down of that chlorophyll. Yeah, But also... The main thing really is that the leaves and the trees, they're all preparing themselves for the winter. So gradually they do start to break down. It does seem um, like this year they have hung on a bit longer. Now I don't know if that's because we've not had a big windy spell of weather that normally like, you know, deposits a load of leaves that are just like clinging on for dear life. But it does seem like they have hung on a little bit longer this year. Yeah, I've noticed that there's quite a few um, near where I live that they're still, the trees still look very healthy for this time of year it's all quite a lot of leaves on them i mean we have had some wind events that have taken off some of the leaves but yeah yeah but yes yes yeah but nothing like the extent that you would kind of normally expect or nothing like Mm. the extent that really clogs up the drains you know they're not like cleared out quick enough yeah um yeah there has has time on which has been really nice because you know it means we get to enjoy them for longer as well those beautiful autumn colors we can enjoy them for longer for sure. I've spent a lot of the last few months actually walking in forests. Um, Me too. Partly because there's a protection there from the wind. Um, mm. And also partly because I can let my two children run around who love to run around. <laughs> and I can keep an eye on them because I can't sort of catch them at the same time. So um, th- it's impossible. One will go one way and one will go the way. So in a forest, we're, we're pretty safe. So I've really got to appreciate the leaves the colours and it also reminds me of that gorgeous like microclimate that a forest has it's such a place of protection it really is I've spent quite a lot of the sort of last few months going for walks in the forest and it's just something so calming about it and obviously isn't there the trees just look beautiful and especially when the leaves are changing colour it's just such a nice time of the year I think autumn's Mm. probably my favourite season actually so gosh that's a big statement Gemma I know. I'm putting it out there. It's out there now. No, it's out there now. I actually think, oh, spring is probably my favorite season, more so because we're gaining daylight, but also Mm. you can have snow, but you can have sunshine and you can have warm weather and you can be on the beach and then you can have these gorgeous big hail showers and then April showers. That's another weather wisdom that we must get to. Oh, yeah, definitely. Where did April showers come from? You'll just have to hang on and find out. It'll be in a later episode. (laughs) (laughs) One to be decided. Yeah. Uh, not not highlighting how unprepared we are. <laughs> we are so prepared. We've got them all written down. We just can't cover them all. We want to in, spread them out. There's a big list in my head. Definitely. We've got to spread out the weather love, the weather facts, the weather wisdom that we've got. They will be coming. Join us for every episode. And you'll, you'll learn a little bit more. And we hope that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more. We really do. I have, Gemma. My love has grown. It has grown. I can feel it in my little heart. It's beautiful. Beautiful thing. Thank you so much for listening. We do hope you join us again soon. And we also hope that you have a lovely day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.